It's Brian, your lunatic friend. I had so much fun talking about the early years on the road, first playing solo, and borrowing guys from the Earth, Wind, and Fire band, then having a band called the Mighty Colorful Shoes, followed by the Jazz Fanatics, and the Electric Tour with Phil Kagey brought a bigger audience than I'd ever had in concert. By my third project, Whistling in the Dark, I had developed a keen awareness of how big the audience got when you brought more firepower. You might remember that when Sweet Comfort Band broke up, guitarist Randy Thomas started a band with his longtime friend, Bob. Bob Carlisle. They would call the band Allies. Their first release had a military theme depicting spiritual warfare, but some of that warfare had to do with dealing with a tiny budget for a tour, so most of us had to wear more than one helmet. I would find myself sharing the stage with artists that would back me up and play their own stuff as well. Now there was an opportunity through my management to put me together with Randy and Bob's band. They would simply call it Brian Duncan with Allies, as that band was willing to back me up on my stuff after playing their own stuff in the beginning. Now I already knew about Randy's talent on a guitar and Bob's talent on vocals, but being on the road with them, I would see how good their songwriting was, and Bob Carlisle had some chops on guitar as well. I'll never forget the first time on stage when we went to a breakdown on You Can Rely On Me, and I turned around to hear Bob playing what we call Chunka Chunka on the guitar. It sounded like gank, 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 and we went around a couple of extra times just because the groove was so funky. He'd be playing that under If you got a heart that's ready to break, then show me some honesty. Cause I got the time I'm willing to take. You can rely on me. And here's where I realized that I should have had their band play on my record. Because they made the songs sound better than they were. Proof once again that a live band is better than cut and paste sound samples in a drum machine. Now besides Bob and Randy, it was Matthew Chapman on bass, Jimmy Erickson on drums, and Sam Scott on keyboards. But one of the funniest moments I remember was when Bob Carlisle brought a special guest with us on tour. It was a full-size promotional cutout of Amy Grant. I think they might have stole it from a Christian bookstore where we were doing a personal appearance. Amy Grant, of course, was the queen of Christian music at the time. And during their set, they would introduce her. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest this evening. Please welcome Amy Grant. And of course, the audience would get all giddy. And then they would trot out her cutout and stand her up next to the bass player, where she would remain for the rest of their show. And when I came out, I would point the vocal mic at her, in case she wanted to sing a line. And for my show, Bob Carlisle would start dragging trash cans out of the back and use them for a percussion between guitar licks. And I was starting to feel like I was back in my old band, but it wasn't quite as bad because I wasn't responsible to anybody. And man, we stayed in some flea bag motels. I remember one of them it was so bad that I wouldn't even get undressed. I just laid on top of the bed until morning. And maybe that's why we started getting rowdier on the road. I recall throwing chairs into the swimming pool and swinging a golf club at Stay Puff Marshmallows in the rooms. We would set the marshmallows up on Dixie Cups and practice our drive with a five iron. And then there was that one time where we got a cheese tray delivered to the room. It came with crackers and big slices of bologna that somehow turned into a bologna war. Bologna stuck to the mirrors and the walls and crackers all in the curtains. And it might have been drummer Jimmy Erickson that showed me how to make matchstick men out of a book of paper matches. They were made out of layered paper that you could peel back, make two arms and two legs with them, prop them up in an ashtray and set the match heads on fire. And then we would bet on the winner based on which direction the matches fell after burning them. Yeah, we were a lot like regular musicians, except that we weren't doing 
drugs and we weren't drinking. But finally, on one leg of the tour in Florida, I was getting tired of being stuck in a van, going where everybody went, and most of the time waiting for somebody. On this leg, I referred to it as the Taurus Wars. The tour was on my expense, so I rented a box truck and three Ford Taurus station wagons. We'd been driving around in a van pulling a trailer, but I wanted my own transportation because we had to solve one problem. When the road manager would say we need to leave the hotel at 7 a.m., there were too many interpretations of what that meant. Bob would assume that that meant wake up at 7 and then start getting ready. Randy and I would be out in the parking lot wondering where everybody was, and the rest of the band would still be eating breakfast at 7. Randy Thomas would finally invent a coin phrase, we are waving at 7. That meant you were in the car, pulling away from the curb, and waving at the hotel door. But we were still dealing with musicians, and even that didn't work all the time. And that's when I decided to rent three cars. Now the equipment truck could leave early and drive slow like it did. I would leave directions at the front desk for the other drivers, and I could leave on my own time. But touring with allies would be the longest tour I've done so far. Since going solo, I'd done an album a year. I would leave light records after two albums. Gary Whitlock was the A&R director for Light, who was leaving to start his own record label. He would call it Modern Art, and I followed him to that company because he was the one with the creative ideas. So Whistling in the Dark would be the first album on Modern Art, but by the time I'd started my second record with them, they were already treading water. Whistling in the Dark was released in 1987, and my next project wouldn't come out till 1989. And you can tell we ran out of money looking at the next album cover. It was just a black and white picture of me sitting on a stool, and one color graphic. The only good thing about it was that I had a new hairstyle inspired by a headdress on a cockatiel. I would shave the sides of my head and leave the top with a spiked cut. And a few years later, I would refer to it as the last of the Mohicans haircut because I kind of looked like Magua in that movie by the same title. He was a renegade. And I was feeling like an Indian in a wandering tribe where I was the medicine man. And for the album title, I was thinking bad medicine. But I was thinking of the word bad as a good thing, but people wouldn't get that connotation. But I was writing a song about medicine where I sing, I believe a price was paid, a priceless for the worthless trade. And there is a medicine. But in writing the songs for this project, I was starting to feel like I was dancing around the truth a lot. Yeah, like a medicine man around the campfire. I did wear a fringe leather jacket as fringe was back in at the time. But let's face it, I didn't look like an Indian. But I believed in the healing power of the medicine that I was peddling to a world that I saw as plagued with a virus of self-centered emptiness. Who would think of salvation from an invisible God as nothing more than a superstition. But one thing I was sure of was the power to heal and change lives was not in my hands. No, all I could do was pass out the prescription and not forget to take the medicine myself. And in the meantime, my record company, the pharmacy I was working for at the time, was closing its doors. So there would be no immediate marketing support for this record. But the song Strong Medicine and Stand in My Place got significant radio airplay. And the next year, one song on this record would replace the most requested song in the country, Friends or Friends Forever by Michael W. Smith. That song had been most requested for seven years running. Played every year around high school graduations. Even though Strong Medicine was a serious project, like always, my quirkiness would come out in a song called Don't You Wanna Rap? A disparaging song about the new music on the horizon. They were calling it rap music. I was making fun of it, but that would be one of my most popular songs, and people would show up at my concerts with their hats on backwards. I'll be telling all the stories of every song on this record in the next episode of Jesus and Music and Me here on NutshellSermons.com. Thanks for listening and supporting what you believe in.